There we go. All right, we got it. We are good. Man, this is so fun to be here with all of you worshiping the Lord. I, somebody just told me there's like 30 people up in an overflow room up there. And so, yeah, be thankful right now for the warmth that you're sitting in right here. Thank you, overflow people, for uh, being over there and uh, worshiping the Lord. And uh, I, I just have to tell you this, my every single Sunday, I, I, am, I am just so thankful that I get to do what I get to do. The Apostle Paul called it a ministry of mercy, and, and that's what I feel like it is. It's a grace of God that I get to stand up here and, and say to you every week, open up your Bible, and let's study, and let's hear from God. And, and I feel like it's an undeserved favor, and that each week you come back for more. And I keep saying hard things, and you come back for more. And I stand against the culture and all their radical views that go against the Word of God, and I preach the truth, and you come back for more and more and more, and I get to stand up here and and remind you that Jesus is sovereign, and don't be surprised when people hate you, and don't be surprised at, at the fiery persecution that's coming to you. Don't be surprised. You love Jesus, and the world hates Jesus. And we get to come together and we get to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. We get to remind it of that. Is there anything better than Sunday morning at the local church? Remember that when football season starts, okay? <laughs> All right? And you're like, I'm going to grab my chips and watch the game. No, you're coming to church. You're coming to church because this is the best place to be on Sunday morning, opening up God's Word together. And I am just so thankful that I get to be here and be a part of it with you. And we've seen God move. And he's going to keep moving, not because of me, but because of you. Because you're going to go out into your communities and you're going to remind people, you need Jesus. And you're going to purify your heart and you're going to make it attractive for the gospel. And you're going to keep coming because of you. And you're going to be faithful. And I'm going to be faithful. And we're going to spend whatever life we get on this earth for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Man, let's just break and go. Right? Let's just do this. First, we need to open up to John 17. So open up to John 17. We're going to talk about the glory of God. We're going to talk about a passage of Scripture that has influenced my own prayer life more than any other passage of Scripture. It's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus, and it has informed the way I preach, it has informed the way I pray, it's informed how I pray, it's informed the content of which I pray, and and how to have a a healthy prayer life. John 17 has has outlined for me the way that I pray for my wife, Aaron, the way I pray for my kids, Drew, and Drake, and Jackson, and Grace, who I love so much, John 17 has influenced and given me the content by which I pray for all of you, the church family. Jesus has given to us his words, his prayer, and, and in it, if you want to just look over it with me in John 17, I want to let you know what those prayer requests are that I hold on to when I pray for, for all of you and, and our family. And in verses 
1 to 5, he talks about glorifying God the Father. And my prayer for our church is that we would glorify the Father above anything else. He prays in verses 10, 10 to 15 for protection over his disciples. He prays in verse 11 and 12 that, that they would not wander from the faith. He prays in verse 13 for, for, for his disciples to have joy. He prays for, for protection from the devil in verse 15. These are my prayers for you. I don't want you to wander from the faith. I don't want my children to be wandering from the faith, and so I pray for their protection. In verse 16 and 19, he prays for the purity and sanctification of the church, and my prayer for my family and for you is your purity, that you would be sanctified in the truth. He prays in verse 20 to 23 for the unity of the believers. And, and my prayer is that we would be a unified church. As Joel has said, we're unified in one spirit. My, my prayer for my wife and I is that we would be unified as the Trinity is unified. And then in verses 24 to 26, he prays for the companionship that Jesus will have in heaven with all of his disciples, his desire to be with his disciples in heaven, to see the full display of the glory of God. And, and that serves as my prayer that in heaven I would be with all of you, that I would be with my wife, that I would be with my kids, that I would be with the ones that I love in heaven, that together we would experience the full glory of God. And this has changed my prayer life radically. Never do I go to prayer and say, I wonder what I should pray for today. I've got the outline. And it's Jesus' outline. And how foolish would I be to think that I could come up with something better? How foolish would it be for me to think in my prayer life that I should go away from Scripture And try to do something else. The reality is, is this, though, as I failed so many times in not praying like this. The reality is, if I look back on my life, I wish I prayed more like this. The beauty and the splendor of this prayer, the, the majesty that, that comes out of the prayer, is that these are the actual words of Jesus when he prayed. This is this isn't titled the Lord's Prayer. Some of you are thinking, I know the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this one is different because we could say this. This is the, the real Lord's Prayer. And if the real Lord's Prayer would please stand up, please stand up, this would be the Lord's Prayer, the real one. The other one was a model to teach the disciples to pray. These are the actual words of Jesus where the disciples were, were leaning in on every word, listening to him just moments before the cross, say his final words to God. And in that moment, we get to sit at the throne, in the throne room, the, the veil's been torn back. This is what Jesus said. And he prays for you. Martin Luther says this about John 17. He says, this is truly, beyond measure, a warm and hearty prayer. Jesus opens the depths of his heart, both in reference to us and to his Father. He pours them all out. It's so deep and so rich and so wide that no one can fathom it. And it's so true. The depths of this prayer go so far down. 
If you remember the context here of John 17, he, he's in his final week before he heads to the cross. Already, Judas has been dismissed from the room. Judas, go. Go do what you're going to do. And just moments later in John 18, Judas returns and does what he was destined to do, which was to betray Jesus. And so this would serve as the, the last large chunk here of words that Jesus would give to us. And it's a prayer within the divine. It's a prayer within the Trinity where they communicate to one another. And Jesus has been preparing for a moment when he would go to the cross. He's preparing for a moment where he would die for the sins of the world, be, be separated from God the Father. He would, he would go to the grave and then be resurrected three days later. He's preparing the disciples for that. And the disciples are troubled, as would we be, if our good friend was telling us that he's going to die and he's going to a place that we cannot go. And we're asking the question, Lord, where are you going? We're going to go with you. And he says, you can't come with me. Our hearts would be troubled too, and so, so Jesus spends, if you look in your, in your Bible, he spends chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. From that moment on, he's comforting his disciples. He's giving them promises, and the big promise that he gives them is this, I will not leave you as orphans. You're not going to be fatherless. You're not going to be alone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and they're like, what does that mean? We know what it means, but they don't know what that means. And he keeps reiterating to them, the Spirit is coming. It's, it's better. It is better if you have the Spirit within you than me physically right next to you. He promises them the Holy Spirit. He promises them joy. He promises to them at the end of chapter 16 and verse 33 to, to take heart. Why? Because Christ is victorious. Because he has overcome the world and because Christ has overcome sin and death, there will be victory. And he, and he says this to them to comfort them and he, uh, and he offers them this promise to them. And then in chapter 17 in verse 1, he seals all these promises with a heavenly prayer. It's fantastic. And so we're going to spend the next two and a half hours going through this prayer together. I wish I could. No, we're going to look at just the first five verses here and the foundational requests that Jesus asks of God the Father. And I hope that you find it encouraging as we look into this. John chapter 17, look what it says in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given them authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have, who have uh, known you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There's only one point I want, I want to draw out, and we're going to talk about it, is this, that, that Jesus prays that God the Father would be glorified in him. 
This word glory, it's a common word that's used in, in the Gospel of John. It's, it's one of the theme words of the Gospel of John, used 42 times. We just read it five times in five verses. It's letting us know this, that Jesus is passionately consumed and passionately concerned with the glory of God alone. Above anything else, Jesus wants to glorify God as being God. This Greek word for glory is, is doxa. Some of you may be familiar with that word, doxa, or the Hebrew word chabod. It speaks of this, the radiance of God, the magnificence of someone, the fatness of someone, the weight of someone. Glory is not talking, however, of the physical weight of a person. Glory is not about the size of a person. The word glory or doxa is about the significance of someone. Glory is about someone's greatness or, or someone's significance. And to give glory to someone is to, is to give it significance, to give it worth, to give it value. We say this, that we, we want to glorify God. We want to give God all the weight and significance that he deserves, all, all the value that he deserves. We want to make it shine. We want, we, we want to draw attention to it. We want to honor and praise God. That's, that's what it means to glorify. But what humanity done, has done is this. And humanity is really, really good at this. Is that we don't glorify God we glorify self. We want people to see our significance. We want people to see and recognize our greatness and our desire is so real for people to say, man, you're so good at that. This has been in the sinful heart of man from the beginning, and it is something that you don't have to teach anybody. In Little League, you want to hit the home run. You want to round the bases with your finger up. Everybody, look what I've done. Nobody's like, hey, I can't wait to strike out four times today. Nobody's doing that. We want to sing on the big stage. You want to invent that product that's going to change the world. Uh, we want to be the best in our class and, and be the best uh, athlete or, or whatever it is. We want, we want others to recognize our value. We want others to recognize our significance. Because nobody dreamed of being humiliated. Nobody wakes up and says, man, I just hope somebody humiliates me today. I just... Maybe three or four times would be great. I mean, over the top of it's five. I mean, that'd be a great day. No, we're all saying, I hope somebody today recognizes me. I hope somebody notices how significant I am to this world. Because we want to matter. We want to be valued. We want to be admired. We don't want to be overlooked. We don't want to be minimized. We want to be unappreciated. We want, we want others to speak well of us. Listen, this is a hunger of the heart, and this hunger is never satisfied. 
by men. But yet we keep going back, hungry for more. We never go on a diet from this. We never fast from this desire from glory. We, we want glory. And listen to what it says. The Jews had a problem with this. In John chapter 12, verse 42 to 43, it says this. They love the glory of man rather than the glory of God, which means this. And I love this. You get two options. You can either glorify man or you can glorify God. There's no third option. And the Jews had a problem with this. They loved the glory of men. This was their desire. They wanted men and women to notice them and to accept them. This is why they would go out into the streets and, and they'd, they'd go into these crowded places. And they'd put their hands up and, they, and they'd start praying to God. Guys, notice my prayer. And Jesus says what? Get into the closet. Don't let anybody see you. And worship me there. They were fixated on a horizontal glory, wanting the praise of men, desiring the praise of men, wanting to be noticed, wanting to be valued, wanting somebody to notice their godliness. I'm a good mother, I'm a good father, and nobody says anything. I'm a good employee, and nobody says anything. And, and I go each day, I'm just hungry and hungry and hungry for someone to recognize me. And, I, and, I, and then somebody does, and I'm like, man, that was good. That tasted really good. I want more of that. And we go back each day just wanting more and more and more and more, and it never satisfies. It's an idolatrous hunger. And it creates a life of bondage. The Greek god Narcissus is where we get the word narcissist from. I know, I went to seminary, and uh, that was an easy one. The story goes that this Greek god Narcissus was led to a pool to see his own reflection in the water. And when he saw his reflection, he fell in love with it. He was so infatuated with his own likeness, he could not get enough of himself. The story goes that, that he would go to this pond and he would look at it and the reflection would be there. He couldn't get enough of himself that he died right next to the pond. He could not get enough of the greatest object of his desire, which was himself. And it ultimately killed him because he needed more of himself. He wanted more glory. And the most glorious thing to him was him. And it killed him. This was not the kind of glory that Jesus was seeking. While men and women crave the glory of men, you want to know what Jesus craved? The glory of God. Jesus was passionate about the glory of God. The glory of God consumed his life. 
Jesus was never concerned if people liked him. Jesus was never concerned if that today would be the day they would just praise and honor him because he knew there would be a day where they would do that and it was all fake. Never concerned him. He didn't want the fake stuff. He wanted the genuine stuff. And so he was never concerned with the glory of man. He was always passionate about the glory of God. He knew this, that the glory of God is the highest glory, that the glory of God is the only glory worth living for. So it says in John chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, he says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. John chapter 7, verse 17 and 18, it says this, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on my own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. In John chapter 8 and verse 50, it says this, Yet I do not seek my own glory. Can we stamp that on our refrigerator, please? I do not seek my own glory. Jesus said this. One who seeks it, he is the judge. In John 14, John chapter 1 and 14, we're told that Jesus is the full essence of the glory of God. And now we come to this in John uh, chapter 17, and his first request is this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may what? Glorify you. He's saying this, the hours come, the, the redemptive plan of God from eternity past and eternity future is about to meet at the cross. It'd be at his death and his resurrection. This is the hour that that Jesus is talking about. And at this request, when he says the the hour has come, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, he is asking God the Father to put the full display of God's glory in and upon him while he hangs on the cross. I want my death to be about you, God. God. Glorify me by the cross so they may see that you can conquer sin, that you can conquer death. Glorify me through the resurrection so they can see that you bring life to those who believe in you. What Jesus is praying here is this, Father, put all your attributes on display at the cross. Let them see your love. Let them see your grace. Let them see your forgiveness. Let them see you through me. I want the world to see how great you are. That is fascinating. I want them to see the weight of your glorious attributes. The significance of who you are. How wonderful and how loving you are. Put me on display, God. Let them see you through me. I want to reflect the glory of God in this moment. And 
just hours away, just hours away, he would be betrayed. He would be arrested. He would be beaten. He would be nailed to the cross. And Jesus looks past all the suffering. He looks past all that was about to happen. And he says this prayer, Father, glorify me so I can glorify you. He just wants to put God on display. In Jesus' greatest moment of pain and sacrifice that would come, he doesn't ask for release from the suffering. He asks that God would be glorified in the suffering and through the suffering. Church, how would our lives be different if in the midst of difficulty and uncertainty and hardship and trial, our prayer every morning is this, I just want to glorify you today. Would you put your attributes on display in my life today? How would that change your day? How would that change your perspective on life? Immediately, you're saying to God, my life isn't about me. My life is about you. My life isn't about my glory. My life is about your glory. And what I'm going through hurts, and it is hard, and I don't like it. None of it. But I am determined, God, to put you on display today. I want people to see you and me. I want people to see how significant you are. I want them to see when things are hard and difficult and trials come my way that I still love God and I'm determined to glorify Him. What if that was your prayer? First, before you said, okay, God, now can you fix it? Okay, now, God, can you like, make it better? And that's okay. We want those prayers because God can do a lot of things. But we're laying the foundation. God, I want you on display. This was the life of Christ. It was a life of humility. It was a life of submission. It was a, a life of dependence on the Lord and and the desire here was even, God, I just want to put you on display. I just, I just want people to see you. And to do that, we have to live in the shadow of Christ. We can't live out in front. We live in his shadow. Where his reflection is upon us at all times. John the Baptist said it like this. And maybe this is easier for us to understand in John chapter 3 and verse 30. He just says this, he must increase and I must decrease. It's the same thing. This, isn't, this life is not about me. This life is about God. What if we were more concerned about the image of God than our own image to the world? What would your coworkers see if you went to work for the glory of God rather than the glory of self? What would your kids see if you loved them 
with a view of the glory of God? What would your neighbors see if you lived your life for God's glory to be manifest in your life? To do that, we must become humble and dependent. And this is what Jesus is asking of God. Glorify your son at the cross. Let all your attributes be on display. Now notice this. In verse 3, he tells us why. He tells us why. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom I have sent. The reason that we display the glory of God is because of eternal life. We don't display the glory of God for us. We display the glory of God for God. And God uses that. God uses us to draw people to his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that by locking arms with the culture. He does that by having a glorified life that's reflective of Jesus Christ. And I've been saying this for, for weeks and months. There's going to come a time where I'm saying it for years. We're not quite there yet as a church, but we're going to get there. where you are able by the purity of your life to draw people to Jesus Christ. The purer your life is, the more sanctified your heart is, the more effective you are for the gospel. Don't buy the lie. Purify yourself. The word holy means separate. Christian, separate unto holiness. Let your life be a reflection of the glory of God. And that's what God uses to bring people to eternal life. You're part of the redemptive plan of God. In fact, he said this, greater works will be in all of you than him who is in Jesus Christ. You're more effective if we purify our life, spread our lives all around the globe than it was for Jesus to be here. I know, my mind's blown too. greater effectiveness for the gospel. We don't lock arms with the culture. We don't glorify the culture. We don't glorify sin. We don't try to mix the two. We aim to please Him. We aim to glorify God. And this is what He's saying. This is it. Is he give them eternal life. To all that you have given and eternal life, that you may know the, the only true God and the one Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you do to me. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And the question then you're asking is this. Is this even possible? <laughs> is this even possible? what it says in verse 9. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, 
And then, or in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Then what? I am glorified in them. Church, if you're a believer, God is already glorified in you because the Holy Spirit resides within you. You have been transformed. Christ's glory is already within them. Christ's glory is already shining within them. He's saying their mind that, that they have obeyed and my, my glory is already shining through their obedience. It's already shining through their love. Listen, child of God, you are already glorifying God. The question is not if you can or when you can or where you can. The question is, is this, how deep will you glorify God? How bright will you allow your light to shine? God's glory is already within you. How deep do you want to go with the glory of God in your life? How pure do you want to make your life? How much like God do you want to be? His glorious attributes and his significance and, and the image of God is already upon your life. You're already a, a billboard for Christ walking around your offices and walking around your, your neighborhood. The question is this, how bright do you want the light to shine? He's already saying that people can see God in you. He goes down, he says, I'm already glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world. They're in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even when we are one. When I was with them, I kept them in your name, and you have given them to me. I've guarded them, and none of them have, have been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I, I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them their, uh, your word, and, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. But just please keep them from the evil one. Jesus is asking of God, don't take them out of the world. Why? Because you hold the glory of God now in your life. It's within you. Don't take them out of the world. Who's going to show them the glory of God? Who's going to point them to the cross? Just keep them from the evil one and sanctify them. Purify their hearts. Why? So their light can be brighter and so they can be more effective for the gospel. And the question I have for you is this. Do you have a dimmer switch on your light? Where you walk into some circumstances and you're like, click, 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 click down. I don't want to be too bright in here. I don't want people here to know I'm a Christian. I'm going to turn down the glory of God in my life. And then I'm going to walk into church, and I'm like, click, 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 up, 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 bright, 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 bright. As bright as it can be, please, I want everybody to know I'm all about the glory of God. That's what we do. We evaluate how bright we want our light to be based on the glory of men. Shine bright here. Not so bright here. A little bit more here. Oh, they kind of like what I'm saying. Brighter, 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 brighter. What are we doing? 
Let's just take a stand and say, I am all about the glory of God every single day. And if people don't like me, so what? They hated Jesus. What, what do they expect? They're going to love me? <laughs> no, they're going to hate me. So let's stop playing games with a dimmer switch. Let's get as bright as we possibly can. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 16? Let your, what? Light shine. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. The question is not if. The question is how much. Puts the responsibility on us, doesn't it? But also verse 22 and 23 says this. It adds to this whole idea of the glory of God in verse 22 and 23. He says this, the glory that you have given to me, what does he say? I have given to them. Why? That, that they may be one as we are one. And I am in them and you and me, that they might become perfectly one. Why? So that. Here's the why. Here's why. So that the world may know. So that the world may know. That you sent me and you love them even as you have loved me. Why is the glory of God within you, church? So that you can go to the ends of the world and let people know about who Jesus Christ is. Listen, this is the only motivation for living. This is the greatest most motivation for living. This makes those times when the alarm goes off and you don't want to wake up because you don't want to go to work that day, this changes that. Because now you want to go to work to be the brightest light you can be for the gospel. You wake up saying this, God, glorify your son Jesus Christ through me. I just want to glorify you today. I want to be a part of redemptive history today. I want to promote the glory of God. I want to advance the word, words and works of Jesus Christ. I want to see people come to know Christ today. If that doesn't get you out of bed in the morning, something is very wrong with you. But for those who get it, understand this. What an incredible privilege it is, right? What an incredible privilege it is to be a Christian. What an incredible privilege it is to be someone that the Lord has tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, I want you to share the gospel with people. And we're like, ah, you know, ah, it's kind of busy. where the baton has been passed from generation to generation, and now you hold that baton to reflect the glory of God, what are you going to do with it? And this becomes so liberating then for the believer, right? We don't live in bondage. We're not about pleasing people. We're not about building our own kingdom. It's just liberating. We just get to live the Christian life. Oh, you don't like the way I live the Christian life? Okay, take it up with God, okay? I'm just doing what the Lord has asked me to do. And I shine the light of Christ as bright as I can, and I do everything to the glory of God. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it what? For the glory of God. 
Psalm 115.1 says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give the glory. And Jesus lays this incredible foundation then in his prayer. It's about the glory of God. I said this at the beginning, and I just kind of want to close a little bit on this. There's really nothing more that I want for my family and for you as a church than to be serious about glorifying God in all you do. I don't know if you could tell. (laughs) But really, that's my prayer. It really is. I just want you to glorify God every day. It's so liberating, church. It's so freeing. And I prayed for you guys that Christ would be glorified in your lives. That Christ would be glorified in your homes. That Christ would be glorified in your jobs. That Christ would be glorified in your prayers. That Christ would be glorified in your generous giving to the church. That Christ would be glorified in your service to Him. That Christ would be glorified in your parenting. That Christ would be glorified in the way that you encourage one another. This life is all about Christ. And I pray that people would see that in you. And be attracted to God the Father because of it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for this reminder. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name we give the glory. I pray that for our church, that we would truly mean what we say when we say we aim to please him. We don't do that in a way that, you know, is off-putting to people in the sense that we're jerks about it. We just aim to please you because you want us to please you. And if people can't get on board with that, then we're okay with that too. We don't expect people to love us because we love you. Lord, I do pray for the protection of this church, this church family. I pray for those who are even considering now to wander away from the faith and to give up on you. Lord, pull them in by your grace. I pray for those who are feeling the assaults of the evil one, discouragement. Lord, give them your joy today. Lord, I pray for unity amongst husbands and wives here this morning. I pray for unity amongst Parents and kids, siblings this morning, pray for unity amongst our church. We're a reflection of the Trinity by the way we're in relationship with one another. And Lord, may we want to do that to the glory of God. Lord, and I do pray that there would be a day as as we sang Great is Thy Faithfulness, we sang all these great songs, there would be a great day when we're all in heaven doing it again. This life isn't about us. This life is about you. This life is about the glory of God. May we get serious about that. Challenge us even, Lord, when we begin to pray that 
we would start off our prayers by saying, God, I want to glorify you today, even right now as I pray, and set the tone that this is about you, not about me. And may everything that we do and say bring honor to you, significance to you, and greatness to you. In Jesus' name, amen.